Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast with your host, John Fedro. Tune in weekly, plus listen to past episodes designed to make you money, save you time, and give you confidence as an active mobile home investor. Now, here's your host, John Fedro. John Fedra with mobilehomeinvesting.net. And on today's video, we're talking to Anthony and Tanya. These are two investors that I've had the privilege of working with for the last two plus years as they invest in mobile homes, helping dozens of sellers, buying and selling properties and brokering properties. And if you are an investor, I hope that you have a long-term business as successful as Anthony and Tanya. And if you're a mobile home buyer or seller, I hope that you work with somebody as ethical as Anthony and Tanya. Uh, so you're taken care of, so you have a successful transaction. And if you're an investor, to have a business with long-term vision, that you wanna help people, that you wanna have a good reputation. In today's video, we're talking about what's working, what's not working, the goods and bads. Anthony and Tanya really open up. I'm super proud of these two investors. Um, and in today's video, we're going to talk about what they're doing. You're going to hear this sound when I edit into the podcast. Um, I'm going to chime in from time to time on this podcast, clarifying things and explaining things that I think will go on to help you and your business. Listen up and I hope you enjoy. On to the podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is the Mobile Home Investing Lessons podcast uh, with Anthony and Tanya. Thank you so much, both uh, both of you, for being here. Thank you for having us, John. Thank you, John. This is exciting. Thank you both. I remember us all talking together. I can remember just where we were when we first talked, where I was, and the conversations we 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 had, and you know, you your your apprehensions about getting into this business. You know, they say confession is good for the soul, right? So initially, I was prejudiced to the industry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and honestly, I was not familiar with the mobile home, the trailers, the mobile homes, the manufactured homes. I wasn't familiar with it, right? I had heard about it growing up. And once we started becoming involved in the industry, I did not realize there were so many communities, even in the area in which we live, or communities, whether they're uh, park communities or whether they're single family home communities. I did not realize that because. I was prejudiced to it, right? But I knew where all of the uh, nice neighborhoods were, in my mind, nice single family neighborhoods or, you know, so that, that was a prejudice. But once we got into the industry and started talking to individuals that were buyers and sellers and some of the, home, not some, a lot of the homes that we would go into, you don't know what's inside. And you can't even imagine what's inside of these homes. And a lot of them are really, really, really nice. And the people, I, I don't care what situation people's, people are in, whether it's a situation that they need you to help them so that they can move on to the next chapter in their life because life has happened for them and they can't get out of it. Or whether it's a situation to where it's a brand new home and they need to sell because they're getting a promotion and being relocated or what have you. Uh, I never thought about that. Can you talk briefly about your real estate or any background before getting into this business and then why mobile homes out of everything? Well, my background is, uh, uh, you know, military for uh, 30 years. And uh, we went into uh, 
the lawn care business, uh, which was called Lawn Doctor. And uh, we did that for eight years. And then after, you know, we did that, it was like, okay, then we're going to, we got to stay busy, you know. And then we went into uh, single family homes. And then after we was in there for a, a few years, then, you know, we just decided to go into mobile homes, you know. Okay. Go ahead. You know. <laughs> so Anthony did 30 years in the military, and uh, I've just kind of always gone wherever he went. Wherever he told me to go, I went, and I always picked up the pieces there. So I've worked uh, prior to, you know, coming in real estate in the financial services arena, and I recently retired from one of the major airlines. Uh, in 2018, I did. I retired. Um, like Anthony said, we started in single family homes, did that, and then COVID happened. Uh, and we just decided, you know, the homes that we could buy in single family for, you know, $100,000, those homes were almost three times as much when COVID, after COVID happened. So we decided to come into the mobile home arena and the mobile home space. And, and here we are. How, how would you compare the mobile homes to single family homes? And are you doing mobiles full time now? Do you want to go back to family homes? Or no, I don't want to go back. I do not, no. and 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 they're they're to me. I understand the puzzles, the simplicity, shall I say, of the of the mobile homes, the single family homes. You can't you can't understand what you can't see, right? So with the mobile home, you can basically go in and you know take it apart in layers. Well, with the single family home, you can't do that. And so for me, it was always I always depended on Anthony and the GCs that we were using for single family, well, now I can go in and even though we're not, I'm not physically doing any other work, but neither one of us physically doing the work, but I can go in and I can see it being taken apart and understand the process. You broker them, you fix them, you sell them as is, you, I mean, do you kind of the gambit or is there is something that you stay away from? If there's a mobile home or a situation that we stay away from, it's not because we can't do it, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense for us to do it. So, and, and, and I've learned that, but, you know, we've helped a variety of buyers, sellers, you know, whether they have to have their homes moved, if it's on land, if they are looking for a retail price, uh, you know, we have our, our broker license here in, in the state. Um, so there is, what, what would you think? Is there a particular type of home or situation that we, that you want we to stay away from? We don't stay away from anything, you know, unless this <laughs> one of those that that's gonna fall apart you taking it down the road you know that's the thing we try to stay away from yeah you've seen some we've both seen some of those yeah. yes. but, then, but then sometimes we can't help the seller you know even yeah. though we know what to do we can't do it because it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make sense but in that situation right. we always try and give them i don't want to say advice but share with them what we know in regards to how they can you know, help their particular situation if we can't do it. Yeah, it's uh, it's always some kind of way we try to hit. Tanya's always trying to help uh, uh, individual, you know, with situation, any kind of situation. She always try to find a way to, you know, try to work it out with them, you know. Even though that we know we can't do it, she always try to figure out a way to try to help them, you know, at least lead them in the right direction. And that just took two years, two long years for you to get to that, to that knowledge. I mean, in the beginning, you, 
didn't know how to help sellers nearly as much or couldn't give them nearly as many av avenues forward now. Um, that's well, a direct reflection of both of you. But and I don't, we don't know everything, right? A lot of times I have to reach out for help for a seller or for a buyer to, mm -hmm. you know, point them in the right direction. And, and if I can do it, you know, I, I do it. That, that was a big realization for me when I started uh, just taking a step back and understanding I don't have to do every deal and I can genuinely give people good advice, even if it doesn't help me. It's still the right thing to do. And you yeah. end the conversation well. It's not a, it's always, it's usually a good phone call, even if it's, hey, I can't help you or I can only give you a dollar, which, you know, I don't think you should take. Here's two or three other things you should, you, you could do. And it's still a good phone call. People are happy. They can refer you later. They can call you later. I find people are kind of lazy. So even if you do give them some advice, they usually don't take it. Um, exactly. And that's that's the thing about Tony. It's like, man, you're spending more time with them. You can't do anything for them. Why are you spending all that time? And then in the end, she get another phone call back saying, Tony, thank you so much for the information you gave me. You know, and it's just, it's like, okay, then I'm going to have to chill out and 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 leave her alone and let her do what she <laughs> do, you know? Well, we all need help in this world, right? Yeah, exactly. We, I mean, it, it could be something as simple as, I could be at the grocery store and can't reach something off the top shelf, and I'm trying to get it the best way I can, maybe taking a box, trying to knock, and then some nice tall person, whether it's a male or a female, it doesn't matter what they look like, but if they can help, they do it. So that's the same situation. We, we... We can't make it in this world by ourselves, exactly. right? And exactly. it's not always about us. So if you can help, what, what does it hurt? Yeah. Do you feel that some of the people that you bought their homes, they worked with you both specifically because they liked you? They might have had a different offer or a better offer. How much do you think that rapport goes into these deals? Or is it just all about the money? People want the money. It doesn't matter how, you know. No, it's about yeah. rapport. It's it about is rapport. definitely about it's Exactly. Rapport. Exactly, because we get, you know, like I say, Tanya's, her attitude, the way she go about herself and the way she does things and the way she talks to people, it brings it back to us, I tell you, because I, I tell you, uh, a lady a couple of days ago, it's just that, Tanya, I just love you because you you try, you, you explain everything, you go, go above and beyond to try to do things right. And it's just like, wow, man, I love you. <laughs> no, it's definitely about building rapport, John. It is. Um, you know, I'm in the same situation as a buyer or a seller, but maybe not looking to buy a mobile home, right? I can call the plumber, the AC person, and I don't know what I need, but talking to more than one person or one company or what have you in that situation will let me decide who I'm ultimately gonna use. Because if I if I knew it, I wouldn't have to call them and ask for information or set up an appointment, right? <clears throat> Same situation. So we are in the business to help. We, we help first and then we will get helped. Exactly. But what's one of the most shady things that you've seen in this business? There are a lot of about- <laughs> Where do we begin? <laughs> Oh, well, you know what, Mike, uh, uh, John, um, <laughs> I don't know if this is considered shady to most people, but it is to me. Okay. You know, Should be good. 
You can edit this out. But the Bible says, <laughs> but you can keep it because I'm not afraid to see. The Bible says, obey the law of the land. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe. You know, there are a lot of people operating without a license. And and it just makes it, and I know these people and they're doing multiple, multiple things. And so I've had situations, I had a home, I had a lady call me, she sold her home or so she thought. All right, I definitely want to chime in right now. I have a couple of videos uh, on this YouTube channel that talk about getting your mobile home dealer or broker's license and my opinion on that. Just because you don't have your dealer's license doesn't necessarily make you unethical. What makes you unethical in my eyes is if you're taking advantage of people, if you don't set people up for success, if you're if you're lying to people, if you're omitting things, if you're setting people up for failure, by far, that is something that is wrong. I'm not here to berate you about getting licensed. Every state uh, has some sort of limit of how many mobile homes you can buy and sell before you need to get a broker's license, a dealer's license, a retailer's license. And in some states, it's just a money grab. In other states, you have to go to a class. And it's eventually something to do. Eventually, you should get your license. There's no argument about that. And you can have a very successful mobile home investing business without a license. Most people around the country, the majority, are not licensed. The people that are buying and selling mobile homes. And again, I'm not here to be your father and tell you what to do or not do or when to get licensed. But if you plan on taking advantage of people, you can stop right now or just give up and don't even start this business. You should be here to help people. You should want people to succeed. Even if you're not licensed, you should be using the right paperwork, the right procedures, setting people up for success, crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's, making sure that what you're doing is correct. I hope that made sense. Now let's go back to the main podcast. I had a home. I had a lady call me. She sold her home or so she thought. She sold it to someone that said they could help sell her, sell it for her. The buyer paid the money to them. She never got the money. And it was not a little money, John. It was like $40,000. That was a lot of money, right? Well, this person is gone. No licensed person, no, no nothing. So the seller is not really out, but that buyer is out. So now the buyer is giving that seller grief. And the only thing I could do was pour her point her or them in the right direction at the state and who to contact to perhaps the police department or what have you. But if people were operating with a license like we were supposed to, after you do whatever the said number of deals is in your individual state, then a lot of that wouldn't happen. And I think that's, I, I think that's really unethical and I think it's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. All right, let's pause right now because there is a spectrum of shadiness and how much of a dirt bag that 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 people are and if you are going to just theft and steal like what you just heard a buyer or a a mobile home investor is taking from the buyer forty thousand dollars and not giving it to the seller acting as a broker they take the money from the buyer and then they just run away with it 
that by far is 100% theft. And if you plan on doing something like that, you will have the advantage, you will have the opportunity. As a mobile home investor, you will be dealing with fragile people, people in emotional situations that we can take advantage of. And if you plan on doing that, don't even start. Just walk into the ocean and don't come back because you're not helping anybody. In this business, we should be here to help people. We're not talking about like painting over some mold or, you know, you like a, a, omitting like a soft spot or there's a, there's a leak that I don't want to tell people about. That's shady and that's some pretty bad things right there. You should tell people everything. You should disclose things. Okay, back to the main podcast. As much as the state wants to push that and wants people to be licensed, it's the, it's, the, it's the buyers and sellers. If the buyers and sellers don't know enough to ask, hey, where's your license? You have a license, right? Let me see that license. But they don't know. No buyers or sellers, not me. Very few know that. So it, I'm just, that's in yeah. every state too. Sorry, go, go, go ahead. No, no, and, and you're right. You're absolutely right. But it, even, okay, and then there's, the other person that's not licensed, same situation, and they have a, they're not trying to steal any money or do anything unethical. They just don't know what they need to do. So consequently, they've sold this home, taken the money from the buyer, <coughs> given whatever portion to the seller, they, and whatever, but the home never got transferred. And so you have a sell, you have a buyer that has thought they purchased a home years ago. They're in the home, but the paperwork was never done to transfer the title correctly. And that's a problem. So now the seller is long gone, but that individual, that, that middle person that transacted, uh, assisted with that transaction is nowhere to be found. So I know in our state, the state guidelines say, even when they buy a home from a dealer, that they're responsible to um, transfer the taxes to make sure that the proper county knows that that home sits on them. In their, in their county or what have you. Well, when I do my transactions, I do that for the, for, the, for, the, for the new home. And then I also, you know, just little simple things, you know, make sure you cancel your insurance because they're still paying for insurance and don't even realize it. Ask for your refund if, if it's been prepaid. Um, a lot of homeowners are, they don't even have their homestead. You know, help them fill out the homestead paperwork and get their money back for the last couple of years that they didn't even know that they were entitled to. So just those things, it's just, it doesn't cost me anything. It's just a conversation. Here's the form. Here's the application, you know, submit it in. If you have any questions, I can help you and I will. You so, were, Anthony, you were right. Over, over, over and above. Exactly. Because, you know, that homestead is like people like, I'm getting some money back. Oh man, you know. Yeah, I had a lady get. I had a lady get like seven thousand dollars. Her home and and at once the homestead was applied because it was for the pre. So the cutoff date I think is April the thirtieth for the current year. So it was like February. Okay, so she got the previous two years plus the current year that she had already we were pre prepaying. So she got, it was, it was a lot, like yeah. thousands and thousands right. of dollars of that because her home, I don't even know how they had it valued as high as they did, but it was, you know, the, the taxes were really high. The taxes were like $1,900 for the year. No, I'm sorry, 2,900. It was 2,900 for the year. It was almost $3,000 and she never looked into it. She just thought that was the amount of taxes that she should have been paying. Um, can we talk about being a broker? Has that been a 
yeah, beneficial part of your business, not just buying and selling them, but actually acting as like the personal property realtor and it, it has it has been John simply because a lot of the homes are they're newer homes, right? And they it's a retail sale. So those people should actually have the 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 price that that home they, they should actually be able to receive the price, the value for what that home is worth. So the brokering has been a lot. It's been a lot of our business. It's probably right. been, I don't know, we've probably done 38. Yeah. 38 broker deals. <laughs> That's a pretty specific number. That's awesome. 30, 37. I looked when we originally started talking about doing uh, this podcast with you, and it was th like 35. And we've done some. Matter of fact, we're closing one this afternoon. Yes. And that gives that gives you so much better knowledge about price and the market. Have there been deals that you had to back out of, ones that you thought you could do and you just couldn't and you just say I'm sorry and back out oh yes yes yeah. we just had one in um, one, um where we went got the cashier's check oh yeah yeah so yeah. this particular seller did not she said they said that they are being relocated to Florida um and they the park was trying to help them sell their home well we didn't know that no, she did tell me that. I oh, didn't know. Did that. I didn't. Okay. I didn't know the park was trying to help them sell. But I, I and I asked her had she signed an agreement with the park, and she said she had not. So we went out, and when we got there, she said somebody is coming in thirty minutes. the The park is bringing someone, and I thought, well, you really could have called us, and we could have rescheduled another time or what have you. But we were there, and so we didn't really finish our inspection and everything, what we needed to look at. So we left. Well, later that afternoon, she calls and says, well, if you guys want to make this deal with us, you know, whatever amount we agreed on, okay, we can do it. So then she came back the next day and said, the park had a buyer. No problem. You know, you go with that. We went, so that was two days. The third day she called and said that buyer wasn't going to go through. And if we could purchase it from them, Okay, so I, I told her, I said, look, we've, this is a lot of back and forth. If you're not in an agreement with the park, we, we will certainly buy your home. But if you're in agreement with the park, the park is not going to let you sell that home to us without them getting involved in it. And you should just stick with them. So no, I, no agreement. We went and I got the cashier's check we were supposed to meet. But that day I called the park to make sure that there was no agreement, let them know that we were coming. We This is a park that we're familiar with. And the park says, no, she has, they have a um, exclusive agreement with us. In the fine She print. said, and it's down in the fine print that of course these buyers and sellers never read. And so I called her and, and she said, I didn't sign anything with them. So she was really upset. That was seven, eight, nine days ago, maybe. Uh -huh. um, Two days ago, she sent me a text and said, do you guys want to buy our home? Because the park has never come through with the buyer. And they're leaving this week. And I text her back and just said, we don't. And I don't know anybody that, that would be able to buy it. Because, I mean, it was just so much back and forth. I don't feel good about it. And we're buying another home. Yeah, next exactly. Week. <laughs> well, next week, you know, we got another deal, you know. Well, yeah. So it was like, okay, then. Hey, we and another community, another community, another so. community that we're buying. So yeah. Yeah, we're closing. We're yes. we're doing that one next week.
I was hoping we had, did you have time to talk about that salvaged home and like maybe two or two other things? Yes. Yes, whatever you need, John. Can, thank you. Can we, I think it'd be really interesting to talk about that uh, salvaged home deal. Uh, folks listening to this podcast might even not exactly know when a home becomes salvaged or what to do. And it varies a bit from state to state. Uh, could we talk about the salvaged home deal and I guess, yeah, just the before, during, and after. Well, uh, when that this, story. Thank you. Okay. So <coughs> this home came to us through uh, a lead from someone we partnered with. And when, when the lead came through, they told us the situation of the home. And I was like, I don't know um, if we can do this. So we went out and then I started doing research on, on the state's website, called the state in regards to a salvage home. And a salvage home is basically a home that's been dismantled or destroyed or, and see, that's what I thought, dismantled, destroyed, salvage. You think right. something was crushed down or the insurance company has paid the owner full value of the insurance. So a salvage home can come if a person has $5,000 worth of insurance and they have $5,000 worth of damage. That home is now salvaged. So, but a salvage home can only be purchased by someone that's licensed or the insurance company can purchase it. But, you know, someone in the, in the industry, they have to be licensed. So the homeowner couldn't just sell the home to anybody. It had to be someone with a license. No, I, that's a buyer. She just was filling out an application. That's okay. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. She keeps calling though. That's like the fourth time she's called, but, but I'll call her back. I'm so sorry. I should have had my phone turned down. It's a distraction. But anyway, so salvage home is, is a dismantled, uh, you know, crushed or one that the insurance company has paid uh, full value of whatever that insurance uh, amount is. And that was the situation for this one. So we went out, there's a lot of uh, paperwork and rightfully so it should be right because the state and us as licensed brokers, we want to make sure, or retailers at that point, because we were using our retailer license, we want to make sure that the home is, you know, it's safe. It's supposed to be what it is. But what I found out, John, was a lot of people in the state didn't know that process. Mm -hmm. So it, even though, you know, the, the code, the regulation, the statute is there in writing. And even when you follow the steps, and you're waiting on to hear back from the state and it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, you haven't heard anything and you call in and they don't know the process and they tell you you have to call someplace else. And it was just like that whole initial waiting process. We got that home in December. December. It was yeah. late February before we could start working on the home because you had to have approval. So mm -hmm. go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I remember, well, I just remember you talking to so many folks I, between engineers and attorneys, folks in the business, uh, the state official. I mean, I feel like you made uh, 30 plus calls or you I mean like going on goose chases? A lot of calls, a lot of emails. And um, everybody basically was saying, well, I'll have to get back with you. I'll have to get back with you. And what I found is it's a small department that actually handles that for the whole state. And I think it's three people in that department. Right. But not only do they handle that, they handle a bunch of a plethora of other things. So, you know, you just get in line. Right. Uh, but we did. We had to get an engineer. 
And to find an engineer, it was very difficult because I called engineering engineering firms, let them know what we needed. We don't do that. Call another one. You don't want to get involved in that. Call another one. You know, I'm just, but that's based on their own bias, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so finally, I got an engineer who said, oh, I can do that. So he comes out, looks at the home. So you need an engineering report of the problem that the current, the problem with the home as it exists currently. And then what your plan is to repair the home and put it back together the way it should be based on, you know, the, the design and everything. Right. So the engineer came out. I was so grateful. But when he gave us the report, it was not aligned in what the state said that it needed. And so I didn't know what he was going to give us, of course, until we got the report. Right. So we talked to you about it and you suggested that perhaps we go back and ask him to read over what the guidelines and the criteria was and maybe he could you know, amend his reporting and then we could send it in. But in the meantime, I had been in contact with the state and I got the director of the licensing department, got him on the phone and um, told him what our problem is. I said, I'm not able to find an engineer to give us the report that you're looking for. And he said, I think we've had this maybe two other times. So this is not this is not common, mm-hmm. but it's not common, I don't think, because people are not doing it. They're not selling it as a retailer. I think people are probably fixing salvage homes. Well, I should say, I think I know they are, but they're not going through the proper channel and the proper process right. to get that the state requires. So he said, I think we've had this one or two other times. He said, and there was an engineer. I'm going to try and find his information. And it was probably two weeks or so later that he ended up calling back and giving me the name of an engineer that had submitted reports to the to the state based on what they needed. I contacted him. It was another two weeks before he could come out. So this is why, you know, such a long time period before we were able to start. And then when he actually came out, then you have to get the state to come out to do the inspection based off of, you know, the engineer says, okay, this is what we need. Check, 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 check. Okay, you guys can get started. And the state world was like, we're supposed to come out? I didn't know we were coming out. So just go ahead on and have the engineer sign off on everything. So it, it was a process. And you know, we had to get a lot of pictures during the process to make sure that what the engineer said was needing to happen. You know, we we, you know, fulfilled all those requirements. And then at the end, take pictures and the engineer had to write a final report to submit back into the state. Then the inspector came out. That was a process. So it took probably three weeks from the date that the final report went back in from the engineer to the inspector coming out. And the inspector calls this one morning and says, hey, I can be out this afternoon. It's like, (laughs) what if I wasn't available? I'm glad I'm available to do this. Otherwise, we would have been waiting again because it's only a handful of inspections in the entire state, inspectors in the entire state. So that was the process, but it wasn't, it wasn't as, once we started doing it, it was the process salvage initially to me was kind of scary, not kind of scary, it was scary. And I didn't know if I wanted to be involved in it, but, you know, Anthony was like, um, no, we can do this. And you you were as well. Exactly. But it wasn't a hard process. It's just, it was the paperwork of making sure that everything, your I's were dotted, your T's uh, were were crossed and, you know, meeting all those requirements. Yeah, that was the scariest part is making sure that we uh, did what the state wanted to be done on this, putting it back together. 
you know. And the park managers. So the oh, park managers yeah. didn't even know. When we told him what had to happen, uh, the park manager said, I've been doing this for 40 years and I've never heard of such information. I mean, literally. So that goes back to my point where I know that a lot of people are fixing these homes. And like you said earlier, maybe through, you know, unknowing that it needs to be reported as a salvage home, not knowing or just, you know, ignoring it. But there are a lot of homes that insurance is paying out on, and it should be considered salvaged. It should be considered salvaged, or it is, and that ownership isn't transferring, or maybe the title, the insurance companies don't always let the states know. Mm-hmm. But we all know, the three of us, that it's, <laughs> there's so many. Well, I heard what, some statistic of up to, 40, 50% of the homes of the mobile home titles around the country are, are, are wrong. They've been, you know, they're kicking the can down the road. They're just sold with a bill of sale. They are not the correct ownership, but there's a, there's an under in every state. I've come to learn that there is an underground market. There is a need for these invisible mobile homes or these mobile homes with just a title. So there's a need for it. I mean, you have people that are willing to skirt the law to sell it to make money. You have people that want to skirt the law and buy it for their own re, you know, resources and do what they're going to do. So, of course, that that underground market is going to happen because you have the willing buyers, you have willing sellers. They don't want to go through all the work that you went through. Why would I do what Tanya and Anthony are going to do when I can do it this easier way and still get paid? I mean, Obviously, they should do it the right way, but right. crazy that they only said that this happened like three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and was the, aware. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And good tip about the uh, going to the state and asking them for the engineer or the, mm-hmm. that. Sorry to interrupt you, Anthony. Or anything that we didn't talk about or talk, talk, touch on good, bad, or scary mm-hmm. or anything. Well, I, all I want to say, John, I just appreciate you, uh, uh, you, you know, setting everything up uh, with the manufactured home. Uh, the business, uh, the training, the training, rather, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it has helped us out a lot, and you know, and by us trying to help other people, that is helping us, because everything that 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 we do to help other people is coming back to us, and seem like that at some points it's like, okay, then we're gonna this is the last mobile home we deal we got for that's in the in the bucket, but yet it's still before that one even closed, then another will come along. So, you know, it's just like you just all I say to to any and everybody is hey, do good. Do good to others. Yes. Like I second that. Yeah. A hopper has always been full. Yeah. We've always <laughs> had one. What 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 is it when the bingo, you know, the last ball is coming? It's just like it just keeps coming and coming. And that's great. Uh, you know, it's it's been full with deals that we we do. It's been full with deals that we pass on. It's and 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 that's a good feeling. I don't feel I'm I'm grateful that we don't have to because early on we thought oh we need to take every deal because we just you know people are coming to you needing help. But I realize oh, I can't help everybody. But thank you, John. Thank you. There are many people that go into business and your training module is a business. So there, but any people that, many people that go into businesses, right? Were they called for that business? And I truly believe that you were called for what you do. Exactly. You, and I've said this to you over the phone. 
but I've never said it to you face to face. But John, I really appreciate your, and I know life happens to everybody. It happens to you. You're not exempt, right? But you, it doesn't seem like what, what, I don't know if you've ever been through anything, but my situation is always worse than yours when I call you. And it's, you always talk me off the ledge, right? You always seem to, to, to point me in the right direction and give encouraging words. And for that, I say thank you. Thank you. The ideas and advice given in today's episode are for entertainment purposes only. If you have future ideas or questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at support at mobilehomeinvesting.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, the biggest compliment you can give is to like and share this podcast with your friends. 